Wait. Oh my God, Sabrina. What? I'm mad at myself for hesitating because I literally was about to say howdy. Oh my God. And that would have been weird if we both said howdy. Wow. Don't make me cry howdy. again. <laughs> this is too cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sabrina and I were talking before hitting record and it's been a long day for you, Sabrina. You've had a lot happen in your personal life and work, just everything all at once. Yeah. And, and Corinne told me one cute thing and I just lost it. I literally lost crying. it. Tears <laughs> pouring from my face. From who even knows? I didn't even know my eyes had that much water in them. I thought all my tears had dried up over the 27 years of my life from crying so much. But they're still there. There's still more. And they're, they were leaking. You're- they were. It's really nice. <laughs> it was like a happy cry. Your glasses got a little fogged. <laughs> I loved it. it. It's good, though. It's like stress relief, you know, like yeah. it, lets it lets it all out. Yeah. 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 There's a lot happening. I'm moving. Got a lot of writing to do. Yeah. Nothing bad, no, but just a lot bad. of a lot of things all at once. Yeah. All the projects came within one week of each other. So mm-hmm. it's a heavy, heavy week or two for you. And everyone needs a good Good, uh, good cry sometimes, whether it's sad, good cry, joy, good ghost story. Oh, good ghost story. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. And I'm Sabrina. And we're here for another episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. And it's great. We love doing it. It gets me through the day, the week. It really does. I love ghost stories. And I will say that a few episodes ago... I made the mistake of saying, oh, I wish we still experienced paranormal activity so that oh, no. we didn't just have to theorize about it so much. And you know what? what? Happened? I said it out loud. I willed it into the world. And so instead of just having fun and experiencing ghost stories when we are talking, I'm now living it. So <laughs> I come with stories. I'm nervous. Well, last week, so I'm in Vermont presently, but I was also in Vermont like a week and a half ago. So I went back to Boston for a week. So there was a week in Boston in between being in Vermont. Okay. So this happens in Vermont, right? Your Boston place is not haunted? Literally all of this is Vermont. (laughs) Okay. Phew. That's good. At least your new place isn't haunted. Although there was one thing that happened there, but we'll talk about that another time. Okay. But so far, feeling good vibes from my new apartment that's 100 years old in Boston. (laughs) But in Vermont, a week ago when I was here, I had on a turtleneck that I – well, it's not fair to call it a turtleneck. It's a mock neck sweater. And I've worn it a million times. It's one of my favorite sweaters, like never bothered by it. And on this day, I put it on and everything was fine. And then like an hour later, I start grabbing at the neck and I'm like, just keep grabbing it, keep grabbing it. And I didn't really know what was happening. And someone was like, are you okay? Like, are you, you feel like you're being choked? What's going on? And I was like, I really do feel like there's something around my neck. Like, I feel like I'm being choked. Oh, my god! And it never – I couldn't shake the feeling all day. And I'd worn this sweater forever, and it's, like, pretty loose, too. It's not really tight to your neck. And then I change eventually at night. And when I change, I look in the mirror, and I notice that there is a perfect line across my neck. Like, it looks like someone had a string, and it was across my neck. And I was like, that's weird that the sweater made that mark. What? That's really strange. I have, like, a little mark from the sweater. But the mark did not go away for an entire, like, 30 hours after that. I was, like, marked. And I had been feeling like I was being strangled. Oh, my gosh. So that was the thing that happened last week. And I was like, that's really strange. Like, what a weird coincidence. Like, maybe it's paranormal. Maybe it was just some weird freak thing with my sweater. And suddenly I'm reacting to it and had this 30-hour rash and a perfect red line that looks like a rope. Whatever. Someone was trying to garrot your throat. Yes. And so then now I'm, I'm in Vermont again. 
And this happened last night, one of my first nights in Vermont. And I am sleeping and I keep getting woken up last night. So this was all last night. And I just kept getting woken up by like weird feelings and noises. So at first I was like completely just woken out of my sleep and was completely awake in the middle of the night. And I was like, that's weird. Why am I so awake? There must be something in my room. Just ignored it, went back to sleep. Then I woke up again because there was what sounds like, you know, when you take a phone charger and you drop the cord and it just yeah. makes a specific kind of like the base falls, the cube, yep. and then, you know, the the rope part makes a couple noises. It's a specific sound. And my mom yeah. has been hearing that sound on and off for like a year. I finally heard it. Like that? Exactly. Yes. And I woke up because it happened right next to my bed. So I woke up and I like looked and there was nothing. And I was like, oh God, this fucking sucks. Went back to sleep. Now I'm like kind of half in, half out of sleep, basically awake because I keep getting woken up and it's my alarm is about to go off. And so I'm just pretty much awake Mm -hmm. and I'm about to just like fully get out of bed. And to the left of me, I hear help (gasps) a man's voice, like deep help. Oh my God. And I was like, I'm not fucking opening my eyes now. I'm not turning around. So I just stayed in bed for another 30 minutes. And then finally I had to pee so bad. So I turned really slowly and I didn't see anyone. So I was like, okay, fine. Got out of bed. And it's, I mean, it's dark until oh my it's God, like I'm so unsettled. 7.15 a.m. here. So it was still darkness when I got up at, at six to go pee. So I'm walking down the hallway in my parents' house and the hallway, like that's where the stairs are. So the landing of the stairs. And as I'm walking by the stairs or the the landing, I can hear at the bottom of the stairs, like some shuffling, like as if someone was standing at the bottom of the stairs and was ah. suddenly like, it needed to move away. So that was really, really creepy. Then fast forward to today, my mom is making dinner and she comes out into the room that I'm in and was like, oh, you're out here. She had seen someone when she turned around walking from like the corner of the kitchen into our mud room. My dad, he was in the other room and he was talking. So she knew exactly where he was. So she was like, that's weird. Did Corinne just kind of like float by really quick? She was like, kind of looked like a man. I'm kind of confused. And then she went out, (laughs) saw that I was in the room that I was in. So now in the past few weeks, my mom has seen a man twice. I have been told help and I've been strangled <laughs> and I've heard shuffling oh my gosh. and noises and things happening all the time. I kind of feel like, okay, we obviously know your house is already active without you there, but I feel like it gets worse when you are there. I know. I asked my mom, I said, why is it so bad right now? And her and I both are kind of like, we don't really like to cleanse unless we feel the absolute need to because we don't really want to anger anything. And uh, we also- Girl, you were strangled. <laughs> I know. I know. I think it's time to cleanse. We want it to be a safe space for them too. <laughs> but, but you can do like a cleanse where you're like only good positive spirits, right? Like right, 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 right. Yeah. And I was like, we really need to do, like, if we're not going to do the whole house, we need to do my room at the very least because I'm <gasps> going to be losing sleep. Did the help? Did it, was it like on the floor? Did it feel like in your ear? It, it was uh, almost, where was it? This is going to sound cr- really creepy, but it was like seven year old child height, like as if, as if a three, three foot kid, three and a or half were foot they kid. Kneeling? Could have been kneeling. Yeah. You're right. Could have been kneeling, but it was, if you walk into my bedroom, my bed is on that wall that has the door that you walk into. And mm-hmm. my bed where I sleep is maybe like three and a half, four feet from the door. And mm-hmm. it sounded like it was coming from a few steps into the room. 
right in front of the door. So it was like four feet away from me, but it was kind of almost, it was definitely like aimed a little bit lower in height, like as if someone was trying to get height wise to me in bed. I just feel so, I have a wall at my back and I feel uneasy. That's why I normally don't have, I normally am just sitting up when we record and I'm literally on the bed and I put every single pillow on my bed behind me because I'm like, I can't have any space. I can't have any air. Nothing is exposed here. And you're recording in the room it happened. (laughs) Where else am I supposed to go? Where'd the neck thing happen? Which which thing? The being strangled, the garroted. Where'd that happen? That was just all over. Like, I first noticed it in the kitchen. That was just consistent throughout the day. I imagine something like on your back holding something around your neck. Well, which brings me maybe to the one thing that happened in my apartment in Boston. And actually, I can't believe I didn't tell you this. This was like three or four weeks ago. A freezing cold amount of air just suddenly was from like my butt to my mid back. And it just stayed with me. So for like two minutes, wherever I went in my apartment, the really, really, really cold air was only right behind me. And if you touched my skin, my skin wasn't cold. And there was no drafts, like nothing. I kept walking around trying to find things, like sticking my hands out, being like, maybe I'll find the pocket. It was literally just behind. It was like as if someone was hugging me from behind and was just like their head was like mid back or whatever. And just my butt to mid back was getting the freezing, freezing cold. So it's it's on your back. I think so. Stage your body. Stage your butt to your head. (laughs) I'm going to. I'm literally going to take like a bath in lavender and rosemary and have some Palo Santo going or whatever. I don't know. But... We have holy water here. Maybe I should... Bathe in holy water? Yeah. Mix it into my lotion. I just want your mom to be like throwing it on you like an exorcism <laughs> as you're bathing. If that happens, I will definitely film it so everyone can see. My mom was mad though when I told her what happened and last night and, and the guy saying help and she goes, help? Why would he ask you for help? You're not a medium. You know that? You can't help him. She was like, what an idiot. She was mad. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, so. I mean, for a brief moment, you could you could hear him and communicate with him, probably. So, I mean, in that moment, maybe he did think you could help. Maybe. Although I'm trying to think of a way that someone could say help without it being extremely terrifying. And I don't think there is one. Because him being really quick and saying help, like that, that maybe would be a good way to say it. I was just scared. But if you think about someone being like, help me, like trying to be nicer about it, that's even creepier. Yeah. But I mean, help could mean so many things, right? Like it could be a residual thing of like, help, I'm in a bad place because I'm like reliving my death over and over Mm -hmm. or help. I need to get a message to someone, which is not scary. It's more just like I need some assistance and then help pay attention to me because I want to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. You know what? I need to start sleeping with Mr. Piggy again. He's always been my oh, protection. Mr. Piggy. And I recently got a chair in my childhood bedroom. There's like a whole, it re- really was just turned into a guest bedroom. So now there's like a chair, there's a little, whatever those things are to put your suitcase up on. There's a little mm-hmm. coat rack. So there's this whole new corner that I didn't have before. Wow. So now Mr. Piggy sits on the chair and huh. I think he needs to be with me in bed. Yep. He's your snuggle buddy. Yeah, so he's going to join me tonight for some protection. Wow. <laughs> anyway, that's what's happening to me. I don't have any paranormal things happening to me, but I am reading a paranormal book. <gasps> what's it called? It's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Ooh. And it is so good. It's by V.E. Schwab. And it's been in like the top books on Kindle for the past few weeks. And it's so good. It's about this girl who like basically makes a deal with the darkness, which is basically like the devil or some type yeah. of 
dark god. She basically is like trying to run away from her life and makes a deal with the darkness that makes her basically forgettable. But she lives forever. But she can't. If she hadn't like if you and I were talking and then you went to the bathroom and came back, you wouldn't remember me. Like that's so basically she can't have lasting relationships wow. with anyone. Like the second they're out of her sight for more than a minute or like a minute, they forget her. That's so isolating. No, but it's so good. And then like the darkness kind of like taunts her throughout the years. And it's so oh good. Is this kind of your worst nightmare because you feel like you're invisible to so many people anyway? Maybe that's why I'm like so into the books. I'm like, get it. Because <laughs> it feels a little too close to home. <laughs> like a possibility that could happen in this lifetime for you. It is the most bizarre thing. And I'm glad that you witnessed it with me that one time because I truly, <laughs> I just get ignored. It's like I don't exist. Yeah, it's fully ignored. It's really strange. It's like people see you. They just, they choose not to <laughs> acknowledge you, which yeah. is strange because people will be like skateboarding and run into you and sit on you and stuff. But I see people seeing you. It's like they're just not registering that you're there. Yeah. They look into your eyes, but the, it doesn't, it doesn't compute up in their head to say, this is a person and I should move. What if it's just a magical power and I have to learn to harness it? And I can Ooh. actually become invisible. Or you put people in this magical trance, trance. for a few moments. <gasps> I knew I should have gone to Hogwarts. They're overcome by your beauty. I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that wouldn't be it. Cannot compute. Do you remember years ago when there was that video that went viral? That kind of scary experience that happened to that newscaster where she was reporting on live television and suddenly something happened and all of the words coming out of her mouth were straight gibberish it was like speaking an entirely <gasps> she having a seizure i i forget what the actual medical diagnosis was but basically something like that it was like she was having a seizure while still being entirely conscious and awake and it, it was just the words that were that she was thinking and trying to say came out entirely jumbled and it was pretty Whoa. scary I remember she was interviewed about it later. So but that's kind of how I feel sometimes. It's like the, you think one thing and then an entirely different word comes out. Yeah. Sometimes you don't think at all and you don't know what comes out. <laughs> sometimes it's entirely blank until a thought enters your head and goes, wow, I haven't been thinking of anything. <laughs> and then that's still really not much. So, And so is everything we're saying right Hello, now. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. It's complete gibberish. Can you decipher? Can you deal with this it? This is like people order those like month subscription games where you have to figure out the murder, figure out the mystery in the box. <gasps> yeah. I feel like half of the episode is trying to figure out what, what the hell we're talking about. One episode, we should just talk in a different language. You and I should come up with a different language and just do an episode in that language and pretend it's normal and just confuse the hell out of everyone. We could, I mean, I can go hard on pig Latin. So. I know, but people know Pig Latin. We got to like make up our own thing. Wasn't there that that language on Zoom? Not not Zoom that we use today, but come on and Zoom, 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 Zoom. Come on and Zoom, come on and Zoom. I, it was on like PBS or something. It was a bunch of kids and they like made lemonade and ran around and did fun activities together. If this was in our childhood, I have no memory of childhood. Though. That's true. You've blocked it all out. I'm invisible and I have no memory. So. Yes. Wow, maybe you really are the girl in the book. It's all <laughs> sounding. But she has a great memory, I will say. Okay. Anyway, I don't remember what I was talking about. I don't know. But we're here to transition to talk about <laughs> paranormals. So maybe we should do that. We chose folklore. This week's topic, 
to be folklore. After Taylor Swift's launch of her new music video for the song Folklore. Yeah, you can play her album in the background <laughs> as you listen to us. I recently became obsessed with her. I really, I never really liked her. And then I watched that um, documentary on Netflix. And now I'm a big fan. Really? Yeah. See, I didn't watch the documentary, but I, I loved her first album. Then I loved the Red album. And now I love folklore. <laughs> love folklore. So I don't follow her as a person, which maybe sounds like something that she would want. For people to be less involved in her yeah. personal life. But yeah, I'm here for for some of those albums. Real good. So I think I'm first, right? Yes. Folklore. And if you remember correctly, at the end of episode 141, <laughs> where I told the tale of the Hammersmith ghost, I did say that stay tuned because the Hammersmith ghost basically taunted and strangled and attacked the people of the town and haunted the mm-hmm. town for that area for years to come. But he faded into the background when something more menacing, more unbelievable, more terrifying, and more evil took residence. In England, it was a hideous, devilish creature with the ability to shapeshift and to leap over buildings. It was a fire-breathing monster who lured young women out of their houses only to attack them. It was a creature so vile, so foul, that the military had to weaponize against him. A creature that is now known as Bring-Healed Jack. And to this day, who or... What he was is up for debate, and there's been a lot of theories, like, was it an outbreak of mass hysteria that developed over the years of, like, the fear of the boogeyman and the devil, or was it a hallucination, or a real-life human man who had, like, supervillain powers and disguised himself in a mask and a cape, or was he something paranormal, extraterrestrial, or a cryptid, or a demon with dreams of inciting turmoil and fear? No one knows for certain, but he did wreak lots of havoc on England and he existed. He was very, very real. Whatever he was, it's less of folklore and it's more of a mystery. He took a life, uh, took on a life of his own and he hunted England for nearly a century and paved the path for his story to be told for millennia to come. And shall we get into it? Bring healed Jack. 100%. And I also really appreciate that you're finding a way to have last two weeks, the last full episode. For it to bleed into this one. I feel like I'm playing, what's that, like, six degree or 60 degrees, Kevin that Kevin Bacon game? Six degrees of yeah, Kevin Bacon? Yeah. I feel like yeah. I'm doing that with myself, with our podcast. <laughs> so, it all began in London in October 1837, when a young woman named Mary Stevens was leaving her parents' place and walking to Lavender Hill, when out of the night, a strange figure came leaping and bounding toward her from a dark alley. He grabbed her and began kissing her and attempted to rip her clothes off. In a panic, Mary screamed, of course, as she should, and drew the attention of the residents around and successfully scared off her attacker. And the townspeople came to her aid and they searched the area for the man, but it was too late. He had gotten away. And so Mary was brought to the police and asked to give a statement. And in her statement, she said, the man was not a man and that he had claws, not hands. And they were sharp and piercing and his touch was cold and clammy, like that of a corpse. But the man had gotten mm-hmm. away. So, so everyone was like, who was this? What was this? Was she just so scared that she interpreted it as a monster because it attacked her, you know? So for the rest of that night, they were on watch and on guard. What was this thing? Where was it? Was he going to attack again? Well, he didn't attack that night, but he did the very next day. Because the next day, after he attacked Mary Stevens, there was a coachman driving a carriage down a London road when all of a sudden, a caped creature leapt into the street in front of him, and the coachman lost control of the carriage and crashed, severely injuring himself in the process. 
And as the man recovered, he told witnesses that the man leapt in front of him, watched the carriage crash, and jumped over a nine-foot-high wall while cackling in a menacing, high-pitched laugh. Whoa. And after witnessing this creature thing jump nine feet, he was like, I don't think any man could physically do that. It's impossible. No, yeah. It almost sounds like a werewolf mid-shift, you know? Like, caught mid-shape shift, has the claws going. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about Maybe that. some of the powers of the werewolf, but still the voice and body of a man. Yeah. I wonder. So interesting. Werewolf's interesting. But when you hear more, I don't think it is. But it is crazy. Nine feet to jump. Nine feet. That's insane. I can hardly get two inches right? off the ground. When, you, when I do jump squats, I'm like, uh, my toes are hardly yeah. leaving the ground. <laughs> okay. So gradually, this man in question began escalating. And over a period of time, he attacked seven women, two who were reported unlikely to recover. And he was traveling through all over England in Kensington, London, Hammersmith, Ealing. And finally, all these people who are experiencing him or have friends and family who are experiencing these attacks Mm -hmm. start writing letters to the Lord Mayor. And the Lord Mayor was eventually overwhelmed with letters and all these correspondence and requests for aid Because they were afraid that they were dealing with a ghost or, even worse, the devil. And so finally, the Lord Mayor kind of had to ask the press to report this because so many people were being attacked by him. They needed some assistance. And if it was more widespread and more widely known, maybe they could catch whatever this thing was. So then the Times reported the story on January 9th, 1838, and gave him this creature thing the name Spring-Heeled Jack. And while the Lord Mayor was reluctant to believe that this violent being was anything but human, he believed that if it was in the papers, they'd have a better chance of catching and apprehending and punishing this man, as he believed it to mm-hmm. be. But Spring-Heeled Jack was on the move, was super unpredictable. He was in Sussex one day and then London the next. And he was in London on February 20th of 1838. And Spring-Heeled Jack made an appearance. And it was late at night. And this woman... Jane Alsop lived with her father and two sisters on Bearbind Lane, and it was late, and all of a sudden she heard a knock at the door. And she tiptoed through the dimly lit house and opened the door to find a man bathed in shadow. And this man, whose face she could not quite see, claimed to be a police officer. And he asked her to bring a light because he had just caught the spring-heeled Jack, and he needed some assistance out in the alley where he had caught him and apprehended him. And mm. at this time, everyone knew who Spring-Heeled Jack was because it had just been in the news. It was this big story. Everyone was kind of scared of him. And so Jane was thrilled. This police officer had finally caught him. And she thought it was, you know, I can bring a light to him and maybe get a look at this guy. And so she ran and fetched a candle and then hurried outside with it and handed it to the officer. But in passing it over to this shadowed man, the light illuminated his hideous, horrific features and jane saw his face for the first time his eyes resembled red balls of fire and she saw that he wore a large cloak and a strange helmet and a tight fitting outfit that resembled white oil skin which makes me think of um the american horror stories like black suit that the guy wears in season yes, one season mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. so jane was obviously totally shook she was so scared it became fearful and she tries to run back to the safety of her home But this man, creature, monster who was impersonating a police officer 
apparently started vomiting blue white flames from his mouth and then grabbed her and did very, what he did to that woman in, in the very first attack where he starts grabbing at her and pulling his clo- at her clothes with his sharp metallic talons and she was thrashing her arms yeah. and legs and she managed to get free for just a moment and run to her front door. And so she starts banging on her front door but then he grabs her again and starts clawing at her face and her neck and apparently t- he tore patches of her hair out of her head <gasps> and it was horrific. Oh and luckily because she had been able to bang and scream on the door, her family heard her and ran and grabbed her and pulled her inside and then slammed the door shut on this monster. God. But instead of the monster running away and leaving immediately, he started banging on the door trying to get back in. And apparently one of Jane's sisters screamed and called for the police, uh, finally scaring the man away, this creature, whatever he is. And so spring Jack leapt away back into the darkness. And that evening, like very shortly after the attack, Jane and her family went to the police and reported it to them. But they refused to believe that Springfield Jack was some devilish monster. They were kind of on the same page as the Lord Mayor being, you know, this is a human. This is a man. There's no such thing as monsters. And so they focused their investigation on two local men who apparently were like very drunk that night and had no memory of what they had done. But when when asked to testify, Jane insisted that neither men attacked her and that her attacker was Hmm. not human. So... Those two men obviously had to be let go, and the case was never solved. But feeling neglected by the police, Jane and her family turned to the Times, who published the story, and that's kind of why so many years later we know Jane's story. Nine days after Jane was attacked, a young 18-year-old girl named Lucy Scales was walking home with her sister again in East London, and they were passing a, this alley called Green Dragon when they observed a person lingering in the passageway. So Lucy kind of steps in front of her sister as a man should do his beloved in situations when someone scary is on the road. And she mm-hmm. steps in front of her sister, kind of leading the way, hoping that they'll pass this strange lurking man with no problems. But as they approached the man, they saw that he was wearing a cloak and he kind of kept like peering over to them and he was super suspicious and all of a sudden he turned to them and opened his mouth and these blue flames flew into lucy's (gasps) face and she like completely lost her vision so it's interesting like these flames are not real fire but it's almost like a power that's coming out of his mouth and so she lost her vision yeah screaming and falls to the ground and starts to have a seizure and so her poor sister's like trying and you know trying to save her and screaming for help and watches this monster creature again, leapt over a building this time and disappeared. And apparently Lucy was having these fits and like shocking seizures for hours. Lucy was in such shock that her sister had to give the statement and she claimed that the assailant was tall and thin, covered in a cloak, carrying a small lamp, and he never spoke. But after the incident, he turned and sprinted and leapt over a building. And again, the police went in search of the assailant but had no luck. When the Times heard of Lucy's story, they again covered it and it raised the profile of Spring Hill Jack and kind of everyone all over Europe was worried that they were being dealt the devil, that the devil was in their land and was attacking them and coming after them. And they feared it was Satan himself. And while the press wouldn't officially call him Satan, they called him Spring Hill Jack because then it left room for interpretation. I feel like they didn't want to make, you know, make a word. They didn't want to like determine what they thought it was because what if they were wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Springheel Jack's fame and notoriety grew, but in 
but his appearances became less frequent until 1843 when he appeared all over the country again in Northamptonshire. He was reported to appear as the image of the devil with horns and eyes of flames. He continued to attack women and coachmen and whoever or whatever it was continued to evade capture. And after the 1843 attacks, he seemed to fade into the background again until the 1870s when a mysterious figure began attacking people in Peckham and they named the being the Peckham ghost. But when the story hit the papers, people were like, oh my gosh, this isn't a new thing. This is Springheeled Jack again. He just has moved around and like just because he was gone for a few years we forgot about him, but no, he's back and he's just moved to a different place. Right. And it doesn't mean that he was gone forever. Like he, wh- where was right. he? Was he, he could have been in like Morocco right. or something. I mean, for all we know, he can leap across the Atlantic Ocean. He's got mad hops. He has gills. He can swim. Or, yeah. For my, he's a great white shark. We don't know. And so then in the August of 1877, he then moved on and attacked a group of soldiers in Aldershot's Barack. And according to witnesses, a sentry on duty at the North Camp was startled when he saw a figure approaching his guard in the dark of the night. And the soldier called out to the man with a warning, but this man just continued toward him until they were face to face. And the sentry saw that this was not a man. It was a disfigured, horrifying creature. And he realized it was Springheeled Jack. Uh, And the sentry called for help, but the monster started clawing him, hitting him. And the soldier pushed him away and another guard rushed to his aid and fired a gun at this monster, but it had no effect. He had like hit the man, hit the monster, and the monster like didn't bleed, just continued to like be in existence and then eventually like ran off. But like the guy had shot him and nothing happened. And then a similar occurrence actually happened at Aldershot again in 1878 and again in 1879. And because it had been happening so many years in a row... These soldiers were ordered to shoot and they were given ammunition and guns specifically for Springheel Jack and were told to shoot if they ever saw him. Shoot to kill. And they called it the night terror. But what are you going to do? You shoot him and then nothing happens? I know. I mean, I think they thought if like everyone did, I don't know. I guess they just didn't have any other. Are you okay? Yeah, I have dried butter on my cheek <laughs> that I just discovered and I'm trying to get it off. <laughs> Ignore me. I just That's have crusty butter on I've my heard. cheek. <laughs> I could have sworn that you... <laughs> I, I was like, is there like a spider web on you? Like, what is happening? You keep brushing something off. Just butter. It's just butter. <laughs> dried butter. <laughs> oh. Uh. <laughs> that's good that's gold that's better it is it is the color of gold and it tastes wonderful <laughs> oh gosh okay so after 1879 the aldershot military base never saw Springheel jack again and as years passed jack moved from town to town he was chased by lynch mobs shot at but never appeared to be harmed and he always managed to escape and he was reported in Everton and North Liverpool, where people witnessed him jump to rooftops. And then people also spotted him, like, staring down at the town from the top of, of the church spires and, like, a really creepy, almost, like, hunchback of Notre Dame Ooh, look. Yeah. And the last public report was made in Liverpool in 1904, marking the 67th year of Spring-Heeled Jack's torments. And in those 67 years, not a single person was ever able to determine who or what the creature was. And... There are all these theories as to who the monster was. And there are, you know, there are a group of people 
who believe it was a human or a group of humans and a real man who had taken to dressing up and scaring people. And there was one theory that it was the third Marquis of Waterford. And get ready for this. This is a long name. Henry de la Pour-Bersford. I guess it's not that long, but he was like this drunken fool who had the nickname of Mad Marquis, who was also known as a party animal who played lots of pranks on people. And so a lot of people were like, oh, it's probably just Mad Marquis teasing people, messing with people. But then he died in 1859 and Spring-Heeled Jack continued to be seen until 1904. And also, I can't imagine a drunk-ass fool being able to jump nine feet and, like, casually disappear into the darkness. Like, no. No. He's stumbling and falling into trash cans, of anything. Yeah, and also just nine feet. Like, let's just end there. Who is no jumping one. nine feet? Monsters. Show me. Tell me. Who? Well, Monsters. there was a theory. This is so silly. But that people were wearing spring shoes, which is, like, I mean, I don't even know if that was, like, a real thing back then, but apparently there were springs. All right, well, I owned I owned moon shoes when I was a kid, and even with springs, you do not yeah, get that Yeah, you can't get that high. <laughs> no. And then other people thought maybe it was a group of people who, like, multiple people would hear the stories, and then they would just dress up like him and use his persona as a way to get away with their own attacks. But again, mm. maybe, maybe someone did. Maybe there was a copycat who was like, I'm going to dress up like Spring Hill Jack to go attack someone. Maybe. But if, if he jumped nine feet, I doubt it was a person. Right. And also, if you have spring shoes on, that's going to change your entire walk. You know, B- people would describe him as a springy. Yeah. Having a springy gait. Yeah. You know, I'm also imagining this is the cartoon version of my head, like a man walking on like big, massive springs metal springs and just yes and they're squeaking yes. it's like i just feel like there's a lot of noise that's kind of what i picture too well because that's sort of what you have to picture to envision something that would allow you to get that much height yeah. so i don't think it's a possibility that spring jack was one man or a group of men wearing spring shoes i don't know you can decide if he was a human or a group of men or maybe something we don't understand a creature of the night maybe the devil himself I don't know, but through the years, his legend grew, and he became equated with the boogeyman, and he was kind of used as a way to warn children to behave, and parents would tell their children to behave, because if they did not, Spring-Heeled Jack would leap up at night and peer into the windows and watch them sleep and steal them from their beds if they misbehaved. Uh, And the truth is that whoever or what Spring-Heeled Jack is will probably remain a mystery forever, but his story will live on in folklore, in our podcast, in Two Girls, One Ghost, in your minds. Oh, my god! And that's the story of Spring-Heeled Jack. That makes me kind of terrified to just, like, walk around, uh, not even alone, because some of these attacks were on groups of people, but just yeah. in the darkness, seeing one person kind of coming towards you. And even so, you don't even have to be outside wandering around. It sounds like he lures mm-hmm. whatever this is. He lures people out of their homes and into alleys and into the dark. Yeah, whatever suits him in the moment. He scares drivers. So creepy. I mean, he hasn't been reported to be seen since 1904, so I think we might be in the clear until there's a reckoning and he returns. Yeah. I know it almost, this is a crazy sort of thought and theory, but you know how oftentimes when you look at serial killers, how they'll... They'll be murdering for an eight-year span, for a 20-year span, for a 30-year span, and then suddenly there's, like, nothing. So either they get caught, 
or they just suddenly... Or are you saying spring Jack got married and he settled down? No, <laughs> but I was... That makes way more sense. And let's just go with that. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say, like, what if he's an interdimensional mm. creature and for, like, these 50 years of time, 60 years of time, he was just, like, addicted to doing this on Earth and kept coming to visit to torment people. Maybe. This was, like, his version of being a serial killer. And then... He, I guess, timed out or found another planet or dimension to chill on, and we haven't seen him. Interesting. I understand why he'd want to avoid Earth, especially this year. What yeah. if every time he leapt, he wasn't leaping in, like leaping into the darkness, but he was leaping into another dimension, right? Just like back. What if he wasn't even leaping at all? What if there was some sort of invisible, yeah, like portal, black hole that we could just see that just kind of beamed him up? He just had to get within. A certain range of it and it just kind of sucked him back into it i imagine now he has like a wristwatch that opens the portal mm-hmm. and he just goes Whoop. very guardians of the galaxy sort of wow. sort of guy creepy ew i wonder what it is either way you don't want to cross paths with him no and this is one of those stories that's kind of scary because of how many people experienced mm-hmm. it for how long of a span in time people continued to experience it and also just having no real control over it it's almost it's almost like black-eyed kids where, you know, they could show up at your house. They could show up right outside of your car door. They could show up anywhere. Yeah. But at least with black-eyed kids, they're like a little more slow moving. You have more time. There's some more calculations. And you could say no. You can tell them not to Yeah, you in. need to give permission. But with this guy, with Spring-Heeled Jack, it's just a sudden assault. Yeah. Google search him real quick and look at a photo of him. Okay. Because he's got some real Phantom of the Opera vibes. Oh, he was definitely a theater kid. <laughs> <laughs> the way that he's, he's almost, you know what this is reminding me of too? What? The picture of him kind of up on a stone or top of a building or something where he's like this? holding his arms out. It reminds me a little bit of Mothman. Yeah. And Jersey Devil a bit. Yeah. But a little bit more human. Right. There's another cartoon. It looks like a, oh wait, no, I'm wrong there. From far away, it looked like red eyes, but it was just the color it used, but. Yeah, really interesting. What if he's evolved? Oh my God, what if we just solved a mystery? What if he has evolved into Mothman? And Springheel Jack was able to take on a more human-ish looking form, but then because, I don't know, maybe because he was run out of a town, he was punished and now he has to look like Mothman. Yeah. Yeah, or what if it was like a, almost like a cultural thing, you know? Like it worked, it worked over in the Mm. UK or wherever, wherever he was, but then when he went off to... Michigan, Chicago. Or I forget where. Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. It was like you had to you had to adapt to what people would accept there or what, what people would think is bizarre. And maybe Chicago was so bizarre <laughs> that this man would have just been like, "Ugh, another one of those guys causing trouble." Or the opposite, where he was like, "I'm not a man. Stop calling me a man." And he was like, "I'm going to show I'm a creature. I'm the Mothman." And he turned into a more amorphous, ether- ethereal blurb of a man i don't know creepy Ugh. wow i'm gonna go deep on reddit tonight <laughs> looking for any stories i can on this guy because i'm curious to see because people always post like what their grandmother's experienced and stuff like that and i i kind of want to see if anyone thinks that there might have been a more recent sighting That's interesting gotta go to the to the forums to the interweb the interweb it's funny now i'm thinking like this poor guy if he did if he is the mothman and he transformed himself it's because he just wanted to be, he wanted to prove who he was and he just felt like no one understood him 
No one knew who yeah, he no, was. He w- definitely would have benefited from talking to someone about his feelings. <laughs> okay. What did you pick? Alrighty. So you know what? I did exactly what I did uh, last time where now on Patreon, we're posting usually about like a week or two out what the next topic will mm-hmm. be. And someone had uh, one of our Patreon donors made a suggestion and I had already picked out what I was going to do. But Nix the Twix on Patreon, what's up, had the suggestion and I was like, okay, this is way too intriguing to pass Ooh. up. So I took Nix the Twix's suggestion and I kicked the thing I had on the docket for a few weeks out so we don't miss out on that. Oh my gosh, amazing. But I wanted to talk about the Tokolosh from South Africa. Oh. Okay. So the Tokolosh are dwarf-like water sprites. They are short. They are hideous looking. They're kind of a lot like uh, goblins, honestly. They have gray bodies. Sometimes their bodies are almost a bluish tinge, Ooh. similar to like a dead body. Oh like my that gosh. Sort of coloring. And they only stand a few feet off of the ground. They're smaller than most humans, just two to three feet high. Their arms are super long. Their fingers super slender and pointy. They have ears that stick out like a goblin. And they just move much closer to the ground. They're almost crouching. They're not good climbers. They they can't reach high heights. They don't have these magical powers to jump and do all of this stuff. So really, they're just limited to basically what they can touch uh, and, and what's at their eye level and grabbing levels. So they're just super creepy. Their eyes have been gouged out of their body and they have to rely on all of their other senses. So they can't see you, but the holes of their eyes might make almost direct eye contact Ew, with you. that's so scary. So scary. They also have another very prominent feature beyond just the gouged out eyes, and that is a hole on the top of their head. There is a large hole that is evident in the skull of this creature, just empty. Like oh a gosh. part of the skull was taken out, just a dark hole. The third eye? No, I will tell you oh, why gosh. soon. Soon enough. Not quite. That would be amazing. <laughs> It's it's way oh, worse. No. Than that. They also have their skin. It, it looks weathered. It looks wrinkly. It looks leathery. Sometimes it's really hairy. And if this creature talks, it sounds like it's talking. Like the sounds are coming out with a lisp. And though it's often naked, sometimes it's also spotted wearing a cape. So the Tokolosh are also said to have very large penises. Oh which are sometimes visible. And if they are visible to the person coming in contact with the tokolosh, oftentimes the penis is thrown over its shoulder so that it has more I'm sorry. What? It's very, it's an interesting looking creature. Your wang hang low. Do it wobble (laughs) too. Perhaps that's why some opt for the cape to have a bit of modesty. Gosh. Not laughed at by by those that they're trying Wait, to attack. Wait, please don't tell me that's what the hole in the head is for. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. No, it's not. But <laughs> what a great place. Just tuck it in. Just tuck it in. Okay. I'm glad that's not what it is. That's amazing. <laughs> I like that. It's so un- I'm gonna draw that. <laughs> I wanna see it. I want it to be permanent, not just in my brain. Maybe someone else can draw it who's good at drawing. Not oh my me. god. <laughs> But anyway, aside from from that one feature that uh, is distracting, this creature is very mischievous. It's malevolent. Sometimes it's completely evil. And while many people have seen the Tokolosh, this creature has 
one defense strategy, just one. So if the Tokolosh drinks water, it can temporarily become invisible, giving it the upper hand. Otherwise, if you think about it, it's a small-ish creature, terrifying to witness and come in contact with. But if you see it, at least you have some a, a bit of a move to run or do whatever you need to do. But still, this creature, it terrifies people because if a Tokolosh is around you, you'll just want your eyes on it so you can know where it is. You want to run, you want to hide, and you want to banish the creature if possible. So the Tokolosh has been terrifying people of South Africa for a long time. And while if we think about Ireland for a second, many people no longer believe in fairies. We talked about that when we were covering that a few episodes ago. Um, The fae really remain a part of the storytelling and part of the tradition rather than an actual true belief that many of the Irish people have. However, in South Africa, it's almost the opposite. So not only is it still a tradition, the story continues to be passed down by generation and generation, but it's truly a belief. People are not like, oh, yeah, this was a fun story. Then people used to, it's part of our folklore. Like it is felt and believed by many, many, many people in South Africa that this creature is real. Mm. So this creature only causes harm. It scares children. It assaults women. And it even can cause extreme illness and death to those that it gets close to. So the legend is attributed to indigenous South African people, the Zulu people, who had slept on floors in their cabins or homes around a fire at night when it got cold. So what's believed is that These people, they didn't really know that the fire depleted oxygen levels. And because of this, when they were sleeping so close to the floor, oxygen levels would deplete, carbon monoxide would increase, Mm. and they would be dead in the morning. So they essentially Uh, died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Yes. And it's thought that these people were looking for a reason behind the deaths, an explanation as to why suddenly people were dying in their sleep. And thus, it was believed that the Tokolosh, this evil goblin-like creature, the Tokolosh came to be, and these were the things that were murdering people at night. And as time went on, people who were not sleeping on the floor, but rather sleeping in a more elevated position, didn't seem to fall victim to the Tokolosh. So maybe more oxygen levels up Mm. there. And so people started to, to believe that the Tokolosh could not climb easily. They were limited to only attacking things at their height. And given that they were only about two or three feet tall, if you lifted your bed up to a certain height, the Tokolosh could not reach you and you would be saved. And so that is what people began to do. They would heighten their bed frames. They used paint cans, stacked bricks, anything that they could to just elevate their sleeping height. And so now people have learned that heightened beds are a great way to avoid attacks, a great way to avoid becoming ill, sudden death, anything brought on by a Tokolosh encounter. But how do you get rid of them? Because you don't want to spend your whole days, your whole life trying to avoid the mm-hmm. Tokolosh. So how do you get rid of them and where did they even come from? So it is said that the way the Tokolosh are essentially created is that an evil shaman is the creator. Mm. And this evil shaman, originally wanting to take vengeance on someone, an enemy of his, used dark magic, basically did voodoo, and the Tokolosh were created from that magic. Wow. So... When you think of the Tokolosh, at least when I was first thinking of them, I was almost thinking of the like little alien creatures in the claw machine in <laughs> Toy Story, where it's just essentially a cut and paste of the same creature over and over mm. again. But this is 
not the case. In fact, no, t- no two tokolosh are the same because they were all created from organic material already existing on Earth in graves <gasps> and caskets. No. From the skin of dead people. I yes. was not expecting you that. heard me. Mm-hmm. So they're like zombies. So tokolosh. They're, they're like zombies. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's awful. So the tokolosh are entities that are essentially wearing sagging oh my skin gosh, suits. gosh, no. When the shaman want to harm someone or if the shaman is enlisted by someone else who wants to harm another person, mm-hmm. the shaman or the person requesting the tokolosh through the shaman has to promise the soul of a loved one. So this loved one cannot be chosen by the person requesting the tokolosh to go after someone else. The tokolosh will do the choosing. So this means that if you want to harm someone, you have to want to harm them so, so badly that you are willing to harm someone else that's close to you, someone that you love, someone that is in your life. And so really there's true evil intent behind the creation of a tokolosh. So the shaman will go. He goes, he finds a dead body to be possessed by the tokolosh. And once finding one, He'd pierce the eye sockets in the brain with a hot rod so that the tokolosh cannot think for itself. The tokolosh must only be controlled by the shaman, and this explains the hole in the skull and the empty eye socks. So can't see, can't think on its own. It's basically just a robot. Okay, well now I have a big question because does the shaman give it the big penis? I'm confused. I was thinking the same thing. I'm not sure where that (laughs) came from. I don't know. That might have been an addition (laughs) to the storytelling over years. But essentially, so this the skin suit is brought to life, and humans are are oftentimes larger than two feet mm-hmm. tall. And so the shaman would, once the skin suit was in its place, the shaman would sprinkle a special powder onto the body, shrinking it down. It would be wrinkled, worn, until the creature came to okay. life. Okay, you know, and I figured it out. I think I've solved it. So he shrinked them down, but all of that excess skin has to go somewhere. And it went to the penis. <laughs> it must have. Yeah. I, I, there's, no, there's no other. It's all in the penis. And then they just grab their <laughs> penis and they stick it in the hole in their head. And they're ready to go. They can sprint. They can jump. They can leap. Do flips. Whatever. They're mobile. They're mobile. They can't think for themselves, but they've got a big penis. Yeah. This reminds me of tampon commercials where it's like, you don't want to miss out on your workout. Or like, I'm a gymnast and I – my – Gym time was always ruined when I had my tampon then. And I'm just thinking about the same sort of commercial, but for Tokolosh, like, is your big penis getting in the way of everyday activities? Tuck it in your head. Stick it in the hole. In head hole. <laughs> Stick it in your head hole. That sounds bad because <laughs> there's another head hole that we all have. <laughs> Not that one, you silly. This one. Not that one. Your own. <laughs> that also sounds bad. All righty, all righty. Okay, so... Ooh. Anyway, so sprinkles the powder, the body shrivels down, the creature comes to life and heads off to terrorize the decided victim. And it it may just run around the room, it may just make noise, it may just scare the person. What the tokolosh actually does is not entirely known. So it's mm. sometimes it's just there to annoy them, to wreak havoc on them, but sometimes it also gets physical. So the tokolosh they're known for biting off people's toes or trying to choke them to death with their long talon-like fingers. Oh. And if the victim doesn't live alone, the others in the household aren't necessarily safe from the creature either. So even though 
this creature was sent, like, let's say I wanted to send a creature after. Don't say it. I'm trying to think of someone I would absolutely never do that to. And it would be Sandra Bullock. I freaking love her. (laughs) Whoever else lived in her household wouldn't necessarily be safe just because they weren't Sandra Bullock. The Tokolosh is in the household. And so it will kind of, although it has a a desired target, it is going to take any opportunity Mm. to torment anyone around Mm. it. So if you raise your bed, you can help mitigate the some of the torture and, and terror that the Tokolosh will instill on you. But if you have children in your home, the Tokolosh especially like to terrorize them. Mm. So if you are able to, it is recommended that you put out curdled milk Ew. for the Tokolosh to distract them and appease them. Or you can call upon a pastor who, if brought in time, can banish the Tokolosh to another region for some time. But if you do not act swiftly... Or if any of these other methods don't work for you, you better hope that this creature has only come to scare you rather than murder you. Mm. Because once the Tokolosh feels satisfied with what it's done to the assigned victim, the Tokolosh then needs a form of payment. And the payment is the life of a client's loved one. So the client, meaning the person who first asked the shaman for the attack, uh, will not know who or when their loved one will be killed. So they have to wait, unknowing, maybe honestly uncaring because they were willing to sign up a loved one to die from the get-go. But it could be anyone. It could be your partner. It could be your child. It could be your grandmother. It could be your best Mm. friend. And sometimes the creature will kill the chosen person within a week, but sometimes it'll be many, many months later. And so you're just waiting, always waiting for the shoe to drop, always waiting for the call. And then these creatures, they don't just simply disappear after that. No, they remain. They're not – they don't just dissolve because the job is done. They will continue to venture around just causing mischief wherever they go. But luckily, they only cause serious harm or death when controlled by someone. And the only way to become controlled again is for a shaman to lure the creature to milk again. (sighs) They love milk. And sprinkle it once more with powder and basically reset its mission. Interesting. And so while the Tokolosh who complete their initial mission are mostly harmless, they're just annoying, <laughs> there's no way of knowing when you see one what is going to happen to you. If you see one, you don't know if it's just one that's already completed its mission, that's just kind of wandering around being annoying. You don't know if you are a chosen victim that someone sent one after you. And you also don't know if you are the soul that has been chosen for payment. So coming in contact with one is terrifying. Yeah. And some say that the first sign that one is coming after you is almost a night terror. And when you think of night terrors, you think, okay, this is a terrifying nightmare that someone is having. But actually, this night terror, according to the South African people, are it's much more like a spectacular dream. So you'll dream that you are suddenly extremely lucky. Everything is going your way. Your fortune is just spectacular. You meet the most beautiful person. This person sweeps you off your feet. You are entirely in love. And this is the sign of a Tokolosh coming for you because it's trying to disorient you. It's trying to distract you. And this terrifies people. So they wake up from this wonderful dream and they're like, oh my God, I might die, which is quite the juxtaposition. Yeah. But Still today, the Tokolosh are a big part of the culture. And for many, many years, the Tokolosh have made headlines throughout the country. So if you actually go and look at some of the magazines, some of the newspapers, you'll see headlines from time to time like Tokolosh terror, the evil blaze surrounded his body, but he didn't sustain any injury. And here's one. 
Tokoloch tracker in my bum. Horny little devil always finds me, says terrified woman. What? Wait, yep. look at the photo yeah. I just texted you. Okay. Let me look. Did you send me like a, a large penis? No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, is this from Googling it? Yeah, I just Googled a photo of Tokolosh and this thing came up and it was like twerk, twerk. And then the caption was twerked by a Tokolosh. Okay, we have to post this on Instagram. It's hysterical. It's this guy in bed and he's terrified. And on the end of his bed is this Tokolosh has has backed up and he's clapping his butt cheeks, twerking. With a thumbs up and his tongue out. (laughs) Oh my God. That's funny. (laughs) Oh, wow. Also, if you go to metaphysical and traditional medicine shops around South Africa, they'll sell products to help you protect yourself against this creature. And a popular item that is uh, a product that's said to protect you is also said to be made from tokolosh fat. So you're supposed to take this product, which is made from... I guess a human corpse now dead tokolosh with twice dead corpse and you're supposed to smear it all over your skin so that the tokolosh are confused and you essentially successfully repel them. So I'm sure you are curious now to hear about a real encounter with a tokolosh. I am. And luckily for you, gone to Reddit yes. and there's one from a user named Johannes777. We can thank Johannes777. Okay. So back in the early 1930s, Johannes's grandmother had been a young child growing up in a farm or on a farm in the northern Cape of South Africa. The farm was in a town called Priska, and their house was along the Orange River. So it sounds very beautiful. It sounds very quaint. It sounds very ideal to be a child running around there. And in the farmhouse that they had, the front door, when you opened the front door, you could see entirely through, like directly through the farmhouse. And the back door was aligned with the front door. So essentially, if you walked in the front door, you could walk down the hallway right in front of you, be in a straight line pretty much the entire time, and walk out the back door. They were completely mirrored. Mm. Uh, So it was summer. The sun had just set. And in the dusk, Johannes's grandmother, her seven brothers, and her parents, which were Johannes's great-grandparents, had made their way inside. They were all gathered around the dinner table now. And the dinner table was actually the only piece of furniture standing in the direct path from the front door to the back door. So everyone, when you're sitting at the table, you have a view of both the front door and the back door. And anyone coming in has a view of you because you're directly in the line to walk from one door to the other. So Johannes's great-grandfather is now saying grace for his family, thanking God for the food that they were about to consume. And as this happened, Johannes's grandmother, who was a young child, Opened her eyes because kids do mm-hmm. that and even I do that. Yeah. I don't like my eyes closed for that long. You know, you peek around. And as she's peeking around, she looks around the table. Her gaze stops at the front door and her eyes settle on this creature. This little man covered in hair, two or three feet tall, just standing there by the door. Mm. He had a hat on his head and he was holding a shambok, uh, which is a heavy leather whip. I had to Google it. And so Johannes's grandma is watching this creature and the creature turns to look at her with its hollow eyes and then it starts to run towards the table and so she screams in fear and everyone at the table all with their eyes closed at this time they jump in fear and open their eyes and as they open their eyes at that same moment every single person at the kitchen table the seven brothers johannes's grandmother and the parents all see this little man approaching running 
towards the table, and then it lunged <laughs> under the table, sliding beneath them, oh. coming out the other side of the table, and running towards the back door and out into the darkness. So the family is terrified, and no one understood why this creature was there. Everyone lost sleep. No one slept that night. They were just horrified because that's disturbing. Yeah. But after the initial sighting, they didn't ever have the Togolosh re-enter their home, but many odd things did start to happen around the farm. And it did, this creature did return, just never returned inside of the home. But they would see it lurking around the farm from time to time alongside a black dog with an extremely large tongue. So it almost reminds me of a hellhound. And it only would appear at night. And so Johannes's grandmother has since passed away, but her family's encounter remains alive. And they tell each generation to warn them of the very real Tokolosh that torment the people of South Africa. It's so interesting because the way that you said that Tokolosh, once they complete the shaman's, you know, doing mission, mission yeah, yeah, they kind of just wander the world. So how do you know if the Tokolosh is there because someone cursed you or wanted to harm you? Or if they're just there because, hey, they're out in the world and they need, I don't know, they, they want don't. milk and they just want to hang out. You don't. Yeah, you don't. They're just hanging out or they're there because you're cursed or they're there to collect your soul and kill you as payment. So Yikes. it's like you don't know if they're just going to be annoying. You don't know if they're just going to, you know, bite off your toes and torture you a little bit and scare the shit out of you or if they're just straight up there to murder you. Yeah, that's a little un unsettling and uh don't like it it's very unsettling it's very creepy i do have a lot and of questions sounds, about them yes yeah me too and i feel like i need to get some of those magazines with all the headlines i want to read the actual articles in that yeah well that's a good idea i also just saw there's like a children's book about a tokolosh yeah it's really interesting because it almost reminds me of aliens in that you know you're raised, I think a lot of people are raised to talk about aliens and aliens are are not real and it's children's stories. And then people that say that they had an encounter are called crazy and blah, blah, blah. But if we actually think about it, like there are very much the, the chances of there being a foreign creature out there is high. Yeah. Like we exist. So why wouldn't something else exist? Like aliens are real. Right. So it kind of reminds me of that, of like, you know, you turn it into a, a kid's book, you turn it into this like kind of funny laughing story and all these extra details probably get added in throughout the years, but it could be real, you mm -hmm. know, like this, something like this could be happening to people. Wow. So many mysteries of the world. So many. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of how many people have just seen things in the woods or in lakes, you know, like Bigfoot or sea monsters and then you just never tell anyone because or you only tell a couple of people because you don't want people to think you're crazy right. wild i'm also i because a lot of these pictures are very like cartoony and drawn but i'm also mm -hmm. imagining in harry potter and the goblet of fire they're the like mermaid e nymphy water creatures oh yes but shrink down shrunk. yeah i guess if you combine if you take the mermaid creature and the mermaid creature mates with one of the creatures that works at the bank. <laughs> yes. That's probably what would come out. Very, very accurate. Wow. Yeah. So a goblin and a mermaid. Make a tokolosh. Make a tokolosh. Wow. Those are so interesting. Yes. There's so many weird it's, cryptids and creatures of the world. I know. I know. It's never ending. We could do a whole 
10 hour special and not even <laughs> scratch the surface on cryptids. 10 hour special. It's a long special. I have a listener story, and this is from Heaven. Let's hear. And it's called Cree Folklore Encounter. Hi, Sabrina and Corinne. I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and I look forward to it every week. Hi, Leia. She looks forward to our podcast, too, recording so that she can get her canned food. <laughs> I know. After listening to Encounters by 72, I realized I should finally write you about my experiences with leprechauns. <gasps> I have a few stories about my culture and spirituality. I'm half Cree and Den person, two of the indigenous tribes of Canada, and I grew up being aware of spirits around me. I'm a huge empath, and I feel energies around me all the time, and I'll just tell one of them for now. When I was a teenager, around 15 or 16, I went to go visit my reserve, which is on one of the biggest lakes in Canada. We spent a week out in one of the islands that my family owns. It's been in the family since Treaty 10 has been signed, which was in 1906. Being an indigenous person, but growing up Roman Catholic, I've faced a lot of spirituality crises and often stayed quiet about the paranormal. It was a calm day on the northern Saskatchewan Lake, and it was our last day out of civilization. My mom asked if we wanted to leave today or tomorrow, and we decided that we should go back that day before our eight-hour drive back to our urban lifestyle. There are four cabins on this island and a miniature cabin. There was something weird about that mini cabin. And I asked my mom why it's so small, and she told me that her grandfather had built it for the children. But I didn't think much of it at the time, and we packed the boat and went off. The weather there is pretty crazy, and as we were boating off to the main island reserve, we could see rain following us a kilometer away, or a mile away for the American folks. And it seemed like it was following us from the island to the mainland. But again, I thought nothing about it. Later that night, I was in my cousin's bedroom with the light off, typing away on my laptop, listening to music in my earbuds. It was probably around 3 a.m. The door was open and the light of the TV in the living room reflected off the walls in the hallway. And I was in my groove, feeling inspired, typing away. When suddenly, I felt someone hit the bed. I continued to type because I was in the zone and didn't want to stop writing. But again, someone tapped on the bed as if they were trying to get my attention. So I put the laptop down. I took my earbuds out and I said, yeah. And as my eyes were trying to adjust the darkness, there was no response. When my eyes finally adjusted, I realized no one was there. I thought maybe my younger siblings were trying to prank me, so once again, I said, what do you want? Again, no response. At that point, I started getting sketched out, and my heart started beating fast, and I raced to turn on the light switch. I turned on the light, and nobody was in the room with me, but I could feel someone watching me, and I couldn't shake that feeling off. I walked down the hall to the next room, opened the door, and I saw that my younger siblings were fast asleep and snoring, but I didn't know what to say or to do. My older sister was in the living room watching a horror movie, so I went and I sat next to her on the couch, and thankfully the movie had just ended, and I was waiting for her because we had to sleep on the same bed that night. As we were walking to the bedroom, I realized that the light switch had been turned off, even though I remembered leaving it on. I didn't tell my sister any of this because I didn't want to be told I'm crazy or that my imagination was too wild, because I did like writing fictional stories at the time. I felt safe with her besides me as I fell asleep. But then my sister said to me, quit poking me. Her voice was tired and irritated, and I said, I'm not poking you, in a very defensive tone. Our backs were facing each other, and there was no way I could have physically been poking her. And then she went quiet for a moment, and again, said, I said, quit poking me. And I was like, I'm not. I didn't do it. And if I did, I'd be laughing right now. And now I'm not sleepy anymore, and I'm back to my state of anxiety, and I decided to tell her what had just happened before. We laid in bed, and we thought of all the reasonable explanations. One, we were tired, and it's late. Two, we just finished watching a horror movie, so our imagination's going wild. Or three, maybe it's a spirit, which we really hoped it wasn't that one. Then our mom woke up, 
And we told her what happened. And she said, I'll leave the hallway light on for you because she knows I'm afraid of the dark. And then she went back to bed. Finally, we fell asleep. And the next day I found out that after we left the island, one of my youngest cousins said that he saw an old grandfatherly looking man walk out of the miniature cabin. But he wasn't full size man. He was a smaller, perfect size for the cabin man. The old man looked at my cousin, waved at him and walked along the shore and then disappeared. Not too long after that, a bear had appeared on the island and destroyed one of the cabins. Thankfully, my family who was there was safe, and the leprechauns are often seen by young children. They're known as tricksters, and they live, and they often live by the shoreline. I didn't mean for this email to be long. I've been waiting for the snow to fall, because in the Cree culture, I have to wait till the snow falls to tell stories, especially stories about spirits. The snow has finally stayed on the ground here in Saskatchewan, and so I've decided to share one of my paranormal stories with you. Thank you for reading, and I'll see you on the other side, heaven. I love, I love that. I mean, not this scary poking of the leprechaun, but I love that in the Cree culture, you have to wait for the snow to fall and that heaven was waiting to tell us the story and then the snow fell and she was like, yes, to the computer I go. I hope that's not like a bad omen for us because we don't, it never snows here in California. So I'm telling a lot of ghost stories and a lot of the wrong times. You know, that's okay. (laughs) It's fine. We're fine. What's done is done, and we I can't know, reverse we can't go it. Back. So let's just keep going forward. Oh my gosh! But wow, that's it's it's interesting because the I mean I guess they're known leprechauns are known as tricksters, mm-hmm. and so it makes sense that it would be poking and kind of hiding, just kind of getting enjoying getting a rise out of the two sisters. But at the same time, the fact that presumably the same leprechaun walked out of the cabin and just like waved at the other cousin and kept mm-hmm. going like on his nice morning walk along the lake it's just it it seems interesting that you could be so such a prankster but then also just so normal yeah, yeah. but then it's like it like followed my own business followed them home too or back to the mainland yeah you know, poking them and and also picking like right we think when it was like, 3 a.m when it was dark and when his sister or sorry when heaven's sister just finished watching a scary movie yeah and i'm curious to know how they travel too you know because I was like, oh, what if one got stuck in, I don't know, the suitcase or something and was like, poke, poke, like, bring me back. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm just, I want to know how they move about. Like, what is their range? What's their mobility? Where can they go? Yeah, can they disappear and just reappear somewhere? I don't know. I mean, that's the same question we have with ghosts though, right? Yeah, true. When are you locked into one space and when do you have the freedom to move about? I hope that they I don't know. can transport or what's it called? What's the word that I'm looking for? When you teleport. There you go. (laughs) All right. This is from Katrina, and it is labeled Growing Up with a Filipina Nanny. Hello, ladies. I heard about your podcast from Astonishing Legends, and I'm really glad since your episodes are more bite-sized and every episode is different. I also very much enjoy your best your best friend silly banter (laughs) slash conversations. And my fave is whenever I hear Leia meow. Never fails to make me smile during long walks and commutes. Anyway, down to business. I'm currently in Vancouver for my post-grad studies, but I was born and grew up in the Philippines, and we have the best ghost stories, monsters, and mythical beings. I hope you can do an episode about at least a couple of Mm -hmm. them because it's really interesting, especially the earth elements. There's a lot of Filipino beliefs, traditions, and cultural lifestyles that stem from these indigenous and old supernatural stories. For my personal story, I have two short ones. 
just for backstory, my nanny lived and grew up in one of the small villages in the outskirts of the city where it was a bit more remote. It was surrounded by forests and the stories and beliefs of the Aswang, which is an umbrella term for supernatural beings, were very prevalent. In fact, she even claimed and told me that she went to school with one when she was young, since the village had a family of Ashwangs living amongst them. Ooh. I feel like I'm saying that word wrong, but I'm sorry. And if you grew up with a Filipina nanny and you were the kind of kid who, for some strange reason, was born with a love of listening to scary stories, even though you just couldn't handle it, <laughs> you betcha the supply is endless. And the next thing you know, you're putting salt and garlic in your windowsills at oh night. Oh my God. LOL. Wait, I think I owe Brian an apology because she says garlic works. Oh. So maybe we can get on the garlic train. All right. First story. Doppelganger voice. It was one of those nights where both of my parents went out. I think I was seven or 10 years old, and it was only me and my nanny. She was watching TV downstairs, and I was upstairs in the family bedroom watching TV and eating. When I was finished eating, I went to the door to open it, and when I did, I startled the shit out of not only me, but my nanny too, <laughs> who had her closed fist hanging midair ready to knock on the door. My second reaction was, oh my God, great timing. I was just about to call you. And she was like, what are you talking about? You did call me. Ooh. I heard you downstairs. I said, no, I literally just got up to call you. I haven't heard anything. She said, I can't believe they're playing with me by copying your voice <gasps> before going back down with my dinner tray. Suffice to say, I decided to wait for my parents to come back home downstairs in the living room with my oh. nanny. <laughs> I wonder if our nanny just also maybe can hear people's thoughts and oh. knew that she was about to oh. call her. Yeah, or like where you're just, yeah, you're so connected in some way that you could just felt it and your intuition was so strong that you assumed it was actually said mm -hmm. out loud. Very interesting. All right, second story. Don't turn off the yellow lights. One day, my nanny and I went to the mall to buy groceries. And apparently, I was too preoccupied with my grocery list for the snacks and toiletries as she just recounted the events that happened in the grocery store after we got picked up by my mom and went home. She asked me if I had noticed a man and a woman following me around the aisles. Oh. She noticed them because she was following a bit behind me, going through her separate list for the kitchen, as well as looking after me. And I said, no, I didn't. Why? What's the big deal? And she said that they were both looking at me intently oh. since they thought that I was alone. But more than that, something just didn't seem right to my nanny. She said that they, she thought them to be odd looking they had dated clothes, pretty unfashionable clothing for the time. And so finally, my nanny decided to let them know that I wasn't at the grocery store alone when she saw them trying to get nearer by walking beside me and asking me about my grocery item. As I was naively giving my opinion or whatever, she looked at the couple across from me and it was then that, that she said she noticed their eyes were darker than usual, almost like they didn't have pupils, oh. just beady, not like black eyed kids but beady black eyes. Plus, they didn't have philtrum, which is common knowledge in our country that it is indicative of beings not our own. She was just being extra cautious and wasn't trying to take any chances since they might, if they were truly not human, have the power to entrance me or to entrance me to follow or meet them on a later date. So finally, night came. We all just finished eating dinner. My mom went up and my nanny joined me in the living room to watch TV. And after a few moments of just watching our favorite TV comedy show, all of a sudden, I heard a loud, mm -hmm. by the door. Now, our, oh, 
Did Leia hear me? She may have. <laughs> What's going on, kitty cat? Got big yeah. eyes right now. Big eyes. Playful. Now, our garden and backyard is full of big trees, and we even have a small marshy area where my dad's pet sheep and their manger are located. Side note, almost every night, my dad would go out on the balcony and flash his powerful torch and scan the area of the sheep just to double check that there were no intruders before going to sleep. Imagine spotlighting stuff covered in pitch darkness, and then all you could see were the glowing sheep eyes (laughs) as you scanned side to side. That does sound scary. He would even direct his light up to the coconut trees. And I was always scared because what if he suddenly spotted a mononongle? I thought, that is a creature who is a woman cut in half by her torso, and she flies with huge bat-like wings, and her favorite food source are babies. That would be terrifying as a kid to imagine your dad is going to find outside. I know. Anywho, so we were in the living room, and the commercial comes on, and I asked if my nanny heard it. I even asked her in an unusually low and cautious voice since I instinctively thought that I didn't want her to hear it and find out. But she said yes. But since I didn't react, she thought that I hadn't noticed and she didn't want to alarm me of the noise. Ladies, now that you know the surroundings of our house, of course, there would be bats at night. They could be causing the sound, etc., etc. That's why the more I know or the more that me and my nanny knew that something wasn't right because this particular sound, the eek eek sound, was different. It was like a very big bat swooping down by the sides of the house, by the screened door, which was just beside the living room. And for some reason, this creature, when it would get to the door, would abort its mission and swerve away right away. My nanny posited that whatever this thing was couldn't penetrate or go near where we were, since maybe the strong lights emanating from our ceiling fan hurt its eyes and it had to fly away. She also had a strong feeling that this may be the same quote-unquote people from the grocery store that they were able to follow us back home and they were waiting for nightfall. They might have wanted to have me for whatever reason, like turn me into them or eat me. I don't want to know. Oh my gosh. Anyway, we kept the lights on, but we went upstairs to my mom, half worried that she might have gone outside to the balcony and so this creature might have a way in. Thankfully, she already turned on the air conditioning and so everything was closed shut. Nevertheless, we told her about it, and she requested that my nanny put salt in a few pieces of garlic cloves in the windowsills of the house for protection. We didn't take them off for at least three days, I think, or a few days until the kitchen ran out of garlic cloves and we had to use them, lol. Oh my god, I feel like we, I need to write an apology letter to Brian. <laughs> I know, I'll text him after this. <laughs> my nanny has a ton of stories from her childhood, from growing up living in the forest-heavy provinces. It is a fact that there are really just people who attract such things, and I don't want to jinx it, but I haven't really had any actual experiences in seeing or even hearing ghosts, but I have the utmost respect for them and the diligence to not offend Mm -hmm. or do anything that would disturb their territory, especially when climbing in our mountains and hiking wooded trails. We have these old trees and anthills slash termite hills. Never destroy one because it is believed to be the house of the duende or dwarves beings who are under the elementals category thank you and listening to your podcast makes me feel less alone more power to you katrina i i mean okay multiple things i love that her nanny just like totally made everything worse like i'm nervous that these people are gonna come and like 
manipulate you and take you or make you meet them somewhere. And then and then there's a noise outside the house and she's like, oh, my God, what if it's them? It's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, she's making everything worse. Instead of just being like, no, you're totally fine. Don't worry about it. And then internally freaking out or like <laughs> talking to the parents. She's just like, these people are after you. I saw their dark beady eyes. <laughs> my God. Instilling fear. To be fair, she might be onto something because... The way that Katrina explained that she didn't remember anything that happened in the grocery store, that she was, like, so preoccupied, it does seem like these people with the beady black eyes were putting her in some weird trance. Right. Yeah, that's true. Because I feel, even if you do have a shopping list and you're like, oh, I'm trying to get my snacks, like, as a kid, I feel like you're still aware enough that you're, like, looking at people, Mm -hmm. you're seeing things, and if you saw someone with scary eyes, you would, I would assume, a little bit freaked out as a child, look back at your nanny. But instead, she was just like, la, la, la. Yeah. I also was, maybe I'm thinking, I'm projecting my own experience onto it because I was the biggest scaredy cat. I hated strangers. Like, even in my own driveway, if a car drove by, I would run and hide behind the bushes. So I imagine that if a stranger was following me or approached me in the grocery store, I would freak the F out. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we had a lot of stranger danger instilled in us as young kids because we grew up with parents who, uh, we're young watching everyone get snatched up in the 70s and 80s. So growing up in the 90s, it was like, hey, don't talk to strangers. Don't wander off. Don't go near trucks. Don't talk to people. So crazy. I am so curious. I want to know more about that half, like the woman, the menangle. Oh, yeah. I know. There's. I feel like there's, I mean, so many of the Asian countries, like the cultures over there are so intertwined with spirituality and the paranormal and so i feel like there's endless amounts of scary stories culture folklore everything over there creatures that will steal you but the philippines specifically looks seems to be uh quite populated with yeah scary stories well i'm glad katrina that you did not get taken by some crazy creatures that you're okay jeez you survived now you live in canada (laughs) everything's fine everything's fine and it's Time for you to send us your ghost stories if you had scary ones and everything was not fine or everything was fine and a guardian saved you. I don't know. Send us them anyway, regardless of what they're about. Any ghosts, any paranormal, even just something scary that happened to you. Did you run and hide behind the bushes as well? Because I don't want to feel alone anymore. Tell me. Email <laughs> them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And you can also support us in a variety of ways. The first important one is reading and reviewing on iTunes. That's what Somehow in the algorithm and the formula that they use, it pushes your podcast up in the ranks. And so we'll be listed as part of the top 200 or on certain categories on certain lists. And that will help other people find the podcast, which is super helpful to us. Yeah. Helps keep it going. And you can also tell people about it. Like, hey, there's a lot of holidays around the corner. And so tell all your relatives and your friends and everybody that you're FaceTiming this holiday season. Yeah. Maybe do a whole Zoom with your family and friends where you listen to us together. Maybe a PowerPoint. Everyone loves a good PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. A PowerPoint with us playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. And then there's just a picture of a Tukaloosh and his Wang. wiener going into his head. <laughs> Quality imagery for a family oh, get together. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can also follow us. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. Our Facebook group has had some hilarious content. I feel like I'll do a little spiel on it in our next episode because I wrote down some good finds from our Facebook group recently that I wanted <laughs> to share with you, Sabrina. And yeah, follow us on social media. Yeah. Real quick, shout out to Eric Foster and the entire team at Upfire Digital. Thank you so much for 
editing our podcast. We're so appreciative. And we will see you on the other side.